0: I'm I'm Tom Dennis, CEO of Serenity in Leadership. Um, We help businesses overcome challenges and uh, achieve successful, lasting outcomes whilst always putting their people at the heart of the business. Today, I'd like to welcome Francis Guggen. Francis is the Executive Chair of Smart Matrix, Vice-Chairman of SBM Offshore, Chairman of Guggen Consulting, and he's a founding member and director of Powerful Women, which is a professional initiative to advance gender diversity within the energy sector, amongst other things. Um, Francis is going to be talking at our next dialogue about why diversity and inclusion have become an imperative, especially in reference to COVID-19, and the invisible effects of climate change. His talk will be on the 16th of December, but um, I'm delighted he's joining us here today to talk about himself in advance of the, the dialogue. So um, welcome, Francis. Hi, thank you very much for inviting me. <laughs> um, let's, let's go straight into it, Francis. So um, y- you like to keep busy. How are you able to juggle so many extraordinary roles in business? Um, it's actually remarkably simple.
1: <laughs> the trick is to surround oneself with really clever people uh, yes. and not try and be too clever oneself. <laughs> Um, And that, of course, then in turn means that you uh, want to operate with people. And if you want to operate with people, you've got to be interested in people and you've got to be interested in helping them to get the best out of themselves so that together you can
0: achieve something that you could never achieve alone. Yeah. Um, I think I've heard that before. All all the, the, the most successful people are those who surround themselves with all the things that they can't do. Uh, and uh, that way you, you, you're always surrounded by a, 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 an inclusive but diverse team. It's definitely yeah. a, success, uh, a formula Six for success. Um, you, had a, you had a bilingual upbringing and education in both France and England. Um, and you, you really enjoy other cultures. How has this affected the way that you live your life and, and do business? Completely. And
1: uh, actually, it was trilingual, in effect, because I was doing uh, German as well. Um, The way that it really affects things, and actually, it affects you both physically, as well as then the way you live your life. So the physicality is, there's actually been research work done that shows that the wiring in your brain Mm -hmm. tends to be a little different if you've started with more than one language very early in life, you have more pathways. And that in turn leads to what I think is the most important thing for working with people, which is being non-judgmental. Just listening. Mm -hmm. And trying to examine what somebody says when they've said it, as opposed to just marry it against the map that you've already got in your head, And then 90% of the time rejecting it. And we're in a world in which all the interesting things are happening with different ways of seeing the same thing or putting together different uh, disciplines to actually solve a problem. And that demands being non-judgmental. So it's
0: affected absolutely everything that I do. I'm very jealous. I had a French mother, but we never spoke French at home. I had to learn it at school, but also on holiday in France. So, um, yeah, I, I think it sets one up, oneself up and uh, in, in a very successful way, really. You've said before that you don't um, tend to follow the crowd. Do you think that's part of your success?
1: Oh, definitely. All the things that I've done, uh, all the things that I've focused on, for example, in the oil industry have tended to be usually ahead of a, a um, crowd. Uh, and uh, there have been things that, uh, w- uh, even when I started them, I wondered if I was mad and everybody else knew I was. Um, but they end up by being the most interesting thing. So, f- for example, uh, I was focused on gas when it was uh, very much out of fashion. I was focused on uh, floating technology before it really had caught on i was focused on which is not fashionable now but i was focused on shale when everybody said it was a load of rubbish and managed to accumulate significant assets uh, because of that and i'm currently focused on trying to close wounds without a skin graft a three and a half thousand year old technology uh, that needs an upgrade and people have got stuck in a rut and think that's the only way of doing it well
0: it isn't that's a, that's a big jump from where, where you came from. It's, uh, it's great. <laughs> so you've got um, over 40 years' experience in the oil and gas industry. But more than that, you, you have a real passion for the energy world and its remarkable eng- engineering feats. With a lot of talk in the media about fuel crises, the environment, and renewable energy, are you, are you prepared to make any predictions about what's going to happen next in the, in the industry? Do you know why it's really difficult
1: to make predictions? Because it isn't down to what Mother Nature is going to do. That, we can probably map that path. It's down to how human beings are going to respond. So if we respond by just carrying on as usual until the 11th hour, we will have filled the bath so full that it's going to be impossible for it not to overflow. If, however we actually already start pulling the plug out on certain things and actually changing the way that we do things and respond and use people, diversity and inclusion to actually come up with the ideas and to make things happen, we can have a very different outcome. So my simple formula for people is we need to combine two things together. We, and it really ends up as a coalition We need to get as many people as as possible working the solution in a focused direction. Mm. And the focused direction, I believe, is actually if we price carbon, then actually thousands, if not millions of entrepreneurs like me will start working the problem and we will solve it. But at the moment, the talking and waiting for governments to pick winners is a disaster in my view, and will never solve the problem, and will actually lead to vested interests perpetrating their own solutions for too long instead of having new ideas. Yeah.
0: So the world is, is changing so fast. So um, what, do you, what do you think are the main challenges that, that lie ahead um, in the energy business, and, and do we have the time and, and the motivation to resolve them?
1: I'll take the last part first. If we actually figure out a mechanism of engaging people, we do have time, but we'd better get on with it. That's for sure. Um, I'm not sure that people always understand how really pervasive um, hydrocarbons are in their life. We talk about energy, but it's actually about molecules as well. If you think about how everything that is made, where do the molecules come from to make it? Mm. They mostly come from oil and gas. Yeah. You know, we, we need, we need the, for, for the long-chain molecules, short-chain molecules, we need oil and, oil and gas. Uh, and so the changes that are needed, though, on the energy side of oil and gas are really profound. And they're really profound because oil and gas for what it delivers, is unbelievably cheap, unbelievably concentrated, uh, and unbelievably pervasive. And I'll just give a couple of short things that, might, that you, you can remember. If you take a pound of oil and you take a pound of TNT, how much more energy do you think there is in a pound of TNT than there is in a pound of oil? I'll put you out of your misery, it's eight times less. Eight times less. So oil is unbelievably concentrated in terms of its power, Uh, which is not surprising because actually chemical reaction of carbon and oxygen is how much of life functions as well. So Mother Nature has chosen this chemical uh, reaction. So we're going to need to work really hard to produce uh, alternatives, and we're doing great things with uh, you know a lot of the renewables, and people get terribly excited. You know, in some places we're now up to ooh, a third of our electricity comes from uh, renewables. First of all, that's intermittent. So how do you fill in the gap? And do you double up on everything because that becomes pretty expensive. And secondly. Uh, electricity is only 30% of energy use, even in nations that are well-developed. So we're still only scratching the surface in terms of the changes that we need to put into place. So is that all very negative? No, I come back to. If we harness people, we will solve the problem. If we keep uh, just merely trying to focus on things rather than people, we will not get there.
0: I was biting my lip yesterday and I I got a a, a lip salve out and I was just looking at it and I was thinking, what are the component parts of this and how many of them are actually um, originate from uh, oil? Uh, And I suspect it's pretty much everything, isn't it?
1: It is. I'll give you an even better example. The normal meal that you have, what proportion of the calories... do you think comes from today's sunlight versus yesterday's sunlight? That's to say the sun growing things versus the sun in hydrocarbons helping to get that meal to you in that condition. And the answer is, on average, it's 90% yesterday's sunlight hydrocarbons and 10% today's sunlight And from a salad, a beautiful green salad growing in the field in the sun, would you believe it's 99% hydrocarbons and 1% sunlight? You need the fertilizer. You need the tractor. You need the equipment. You need to wash it, clean it, keep it cool, wrap it, ship it, and then deliver it to you. It's 99% hydrocarbons, 1% sunlight and we all know the easy story of the fruit from South America or whatever, Mm. but uh, we are unbelievably dependent. We've got to
0: really work hard at this challenge. I think it's good to get that sense of proportion. So uh, on to uh, Powerful Women. Uh, Powerful Women is a a government-born initiative, I think, which seeks to redress the, the, uh, the paucity of women, Uh, at the energy's top table by bringing together a mix of industry, academic, and political leaders. Why do you think redressing the gender imbalance in energy is so important? So if I go back to the challenge that we've actually got,
1: which is the environment, we're going to need to radically change the way that we provide ourselves with energy and to some degree molecules as well. And if you if you keep doing the same thing with the same people, expect to get the same answer. So wh- how do you get completely new perspectives uh, and radical thinking uh, into the equation? You need diversity. You need different people to raise different things uh, in different ways. And you need those ideas to play off each other. Uh, and women bring a number of things to the equation. First of all, they bring intellect, for which we're going to have a shortage to actually deal with these challenges. So why leave half the team on the bench? That doesn't make any sense at all. Plus, actually, it's even worse. You've actually trained many of them that are on the bench, uh, but then you decide not to play them. That is really crazy. I, they, they go into uh, jobs that uh, don't utilize their capabilities uh, because they can't get on in the energy sector. Secondly, you need, if you're going to make this change, you're going to have to be ever more focused on the customer. 80% of the household bills related to energy and more than 50% of the petrol buying is by women, not by men. Mm. So if you want to know what the customer will accept, don't fill the room full of men because they won't know what the customer actually thinks. So that uh, doesn't make any sense. And third is this sparking of different ideas for which you need as much diversity as you can get and manage uh, in the room. So for me, this isn't just a nicety about, oh, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be fair? This is actually potentially about survival of the planet. I mean, it's it's that serious. I mean, that might sound like an exaggeration, but I really don't think it is. And and it's fun. That's the other thing. It's fun. It is much more fun to be have new ideas come up and be challenged with new thinking. I mean, remember as a child when you saw something for the first time and you saw it differently how exciting that is and how exciting it is even as a parent or a grandparent to watch a child marvel at seeing things differently. Imagine you can go back to being shown the world in a different light and to see things differently. It's so exciting.
0: (laughs) So um, uh, at at our our webinar, you're going to be talking about the importance of the effects of COVID-19 and climate change on diversity and inclusion. Can Can you just give us a a little taster about what you're, you're going to be touching on.
1: Yeah, I, I want to talk about um, how something that we've lost in most of our lifetimes, Mother Nature, is back in charge. And The moment Mother Nature is back in charge, she is so powerful, you ignore her at her peril. And if you think that if she waggles her finger, you do not need to jump you're in trouble. So I'm going to talk about the jumping that we need
0: to do to deal with the new mother nature. And one of my thoughts for the day uh, recently, I, I put a clip up, um, which was um, Clover Hogan, who's a 22-year-old um, climate activist speaking at COP26. Uh, and she, there's something about, uh, perhaps it's just her, but I think there's a, there's a lot of the youth of the world who who... Who can speak with such clarity and, in a sense, simplicity, and just calling out for, for change, which is so fundamental that we need. Uh, and yet, sort of, I don't want to say as you get older, but most of the people who are in power are so fixed in their paradigms, fixed in their mindsets, that they, they, they kind of sort of have this attitude of, sort of pat you on the head and say, there, there, it's all right. You know, don't worry, we'll, 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 we're doing what we need to do. But you don't really understand the realities of what is happening. And, and you know, her message is no. <laughs> We've got to really look at how organizations are, are con, con, uh, configured and what their purpose is. And um, really challenge really challenge. So um, in all the conversations you and I have had, I've always been excited by your, your mindset and uh, your approach. So I'm really looking forward to the, the, the dialogue with you um, and, you know, very d- delighted that you're going to join us. So it's on the 16th of December. Um, it'll be at four o'clock GMT, um, UK time. And uh, hopefully some of uh, our colleagues in the US will, will join us. I'm certainly going to be encouraging them to, to do that. Um, is there anything that, uh, else that, w- that people should know about you or you know, how to get in touch with you or to h- how to find out more about you um, in-, in advance of that? Uh, probably
1: rather, well, you can get hold of me at my email address. That's probably the easiest thing, which is from, it's really simple. It's francis at guggen.co.uk. I wasn't imaginative enough to invent a, <laughs> an email address, so I just used uh, me. And because my name is sufficiently unusual, uh, that kind of worked. So, yeah, that's the easiest way to get a hold of me. But uh, you might find it interesting to hear the talk first, because that will then c- perhaps contextualise the uh, the questions you might wish to, to ask or the exchange you might like to have. Mm. And um, um, I would say I'm always very open to that, because... Um, I I often say I do all my learning and thinking with my mouth. I do it by talking with other people, not by sitting in a darkened room. I'm not clever enough to sit in a darkened room. So um, I I love to interchange with people and uh,
0: to get to see the world differently. So I'm really looking to meet, meet you all. Great. Francis, thank you very, very much indeed. Thank you.